0: Daniel chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 14 through 35. Then the counsel and wisdom of Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree for the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went out and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Meshel, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this, this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God God of my fathers. you You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what was asked of you what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's demand therefore daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of babylon he went and said to, thus to him do not destroy the wise men of babylon take me before the king and i will tell the king the interpretation then Arioch quickly brought daniel before the king and said thus to him i have found a man of the captives of judah who will make known to to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered, answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven, who reveals secrets, and he has made known to to, the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O oh king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass for this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living but for our sakes, who made, who made known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart, you, O king, were watching, and behold a great image, the great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its, on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone, stone that struck, struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Let's pray. O oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, how awesome you are. Lord God, we see that as Daniel and his companions went before you in prayer, Lord God, that they knew that they would receive an answer. Father, they knew that the God of heaven, God Almighty, would answer their prayer. Father, we praise you that you hear us when we pray. Father, that when we go in sincerity of heart, Lord God, to go before God Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to say, God, this is where I am, this is where I'm coming before you, a broken vessel, not worthy to stand before you, but only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ am I able to come before you and bring my petitions and my prayers, my praise, my worship. God, you are worthy of all of our praise, of all of our worship, Lord God. You are God Almighty. And we praise you and thank you, Lord God, that as weak as we are, as small as we are, Lord God, that Jesus Christ came as a, in the likeness of flesh, Lord God, to be among us. Father, to know what it was like to be human, Father, That he could identify with our, all of our things, Lord God, our sufferings, Lord God. And that, in that, Lord God, you know our frailty. You know how weak we are, Lord God. That we are broken vessels, Lord God. But those of us who are yours, the treasure is within. The treasure of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that empowers us. To do everything that you're asking us to do, Lord God, you don't send us out there, Lord God, without the power. Because the power has to be there, Lord God, to accomplish everything that you're asking us to. And we thank you, Lord God, that you empower us. Father, As when I just remember, Lord God, when Moses, when he came before you, Lord God, when you met him at the burning bush, Lord God, he asked, What is your name? Who should I tell the children of Israel you are? You say, Tell them I am who I am. I am. God, when we come before you, Lord God, you say, I am the one that heals. I am the one who redeems. I am the one who heals your brokenness. I am the one that gives you the power to forgive. I am the one that gives you the power to love. I am the one who gives you the power to be overcomers through the blood of the Lamb. God, I thank you that you give me the power to forgive those who have wronged me. I thank you that you give me the power to love the ones that hate me God, I thank you that you give me the power to be an overcomer, Lord God. That we come from a place of victory, not from a place of defeat. Because Jesus Christ has already won the victory. God, we thank you that when we come to you in prayer, you hear our petitions. You hear our prayers. That there is power in prayer. Because we do not pray to emptiness, to the air. But we pray to the God Almighty who hears. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your love and your compassion, your mercy, your grace, that you are a just God. You are righteous. You are holy. You are everything that we need. Lord God, I pray that we are, you are everything that we desire. Father, I pray that our passion, our hunger will be for you, God. And I ask the question, what is our passion? What is our passion for? What is our desire for? What are we zealous for, God? I pray that we are zealous for the works of God, for God Almighty himself, God, you are the reward when you say in Hebrews, Lord God, that God, that you are the rewarders of those who diligently seek you. You are the reward, Lord God. You don't, we don't seek possessions or things, Lord God, but you are the rewarder. You are the reward, Lord God, that if we know you, Lord God, oh Father God, that we just come in your presence and we are just broken, God, by who you are, by the magnitude of the power of how much your love is, God, towards us. We are broken. But you, God, are the one that heals. You are the one that breaks the chains, God. Any chain, it doesn't matter what binds us, God. You are the one that breaks us. Father God, we praise you that you are merciful and your grace goes beyond anything we can comprehend. You are God Almighty. And I stand in awe of who you are, Lord God. That I am a weak vessel. I fall and I fail and I stumble, Lord God. But you, Father, pick me up because you are God Almighty. And you love with a love that goes beyond. And you give me the power to love with the love of Jesus Christ. Lord yeah. Jesus, we stand in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. As we, as we broke the bread and we took the cup this morning, that we truly remember what this means, that you gave it all for us. Everything. Everything for us. God, that we would be at the same place as saying, I will give everything for you. For what you've done that I can forgive because you've forgiven me. I can love because you love me. God, I thank you and I praise you that you hear our prayer. That when we come with sincerity of heart, you hear us and you set us free. God, we praise you and we glorify you. That you will be glorified in this place this morning, Lord God. That your spirit is welcome here this morning. That you will move among us, Lord God. That those who are bound up will be set free today, Lord God. Truly knowing that it is Jesus Christ who will set you free. And we just give you all the praise and all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Oh, isn't God good? So last time we began the, the book of Daniel, you guys remember, we... Uh, I said you weren't going to get to too much of the prophecy. You remember when I told you that last week? Some of you might have been hoping we were going to get there this week. (laughs) I just don't want you to be too disappointed. There's so much uh, practical things in Daniel that I think we skip because we are so quick to go to the statue and talk about what it all means and what the future looks like. We forget that God gave all of those things to Nebuchadnezzar for a purpose. And all of the things that we, that we read about as preparation to understanding the prophetic calendar and what God has laid out for us for the future depends on our ability to understand what God's laid out for us. Now you remember, last time we talked about beginning of chapter 2, we talked about there was three plans. I think those three plans run across time. There's a plan of the world to, to a plan of assimilation, right? To make us like everybody else. There's a, the plan that some well meaning self proclaimed prophets may declare, which is a plan of separation, which keeps us safe from being assimilated but breaks our connection with the world we're sent to, right? Then there's God's plan. God's plan is a plan of transformation by which we maintain our distinction as salt and light, right? The Bible calls to maintain our flavor. We don't lose our flavor. That's assimilation. But it calls us to be uh, in this world but not of this world, right? So that means we maintain our distinction so that we're able to bring the the transformative power of the gospel to a lost world. So really when we look at Daniel, especially from chapter 2 through 7, and these sections that, that deal very practically uh, with Daniel's life and, and things that we can apply to our life as a lesson as we look at it, as we look at those those issues, I hope we understand that God is directing us to hold fast to what he's called us to, that we can be in effect a change our world. Now, if you can watch the news for five minutes and not think our world needs change, I don't know what channel you're watching, but it's on Fox too. It don't matter what you watch, man. It don't matter. I I, 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 I think I, I, I was torturing myself. I watched another debate. <coughs> Again, I go back to Isaiah. When God says, the judgment for the nation, I will give you children to lead you. And I, I feel like that's what I'm watching. It don't matter. I don't care which side you're watching. There's childish things going on. No? Yes. Childish things going on. So I, I think a lot of that, a lot of what we see is, is God's judgment for a nation. So don't let that freak you out. If we find ourselves in a position, which we shouldn't be shocked at, with uh, 55 million innocent lives slain since Roe v. Wade in the United States alone, that, that's a big deal. If, if Cain killed his brother Abel and God was there right away. So just because God's long-suffering and he's waited and, and his hand of judgment hasn't come, don't be afraid of God's judgment because the Bible declares to us in Thessalonians, we're not appointed to wrath. What are we appointed to? Salvation, to obtain salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the point? The point is when wrath comes, when judgment comes on a nation, God always has a remnant there. Just like Daniel in Babylon, God has a remnant, and that remnant is there for what purpose? Salt and light. You see, God's heart in judgment is not, wipe all them people out, I'm sick of them. That's not God's heart in judgment. The Bible tells us that God has no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. That's where the glory is. You guys get what I'm saying? So we have a purpose. No matter what happens with this this, uh, this election, it gets scarier and scarier every time I watch it. But no matter what happens, it didn't change my job, right? Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. No matter who's president, that's not going to change. You'll still be sheep among wolves with a purpose, right? Turn on the light. Shine some light on the darkness. Bring that salt, that that flavor right, that flavor, that preservative into life. That's, that's our purpose here. And that was Daniel's purpose here. That's why I think this is so important. So what did Daniel do when he came? Daniel's faced with a problem when we left him last time, right? You remember? Uh, Ariok is headed to go kill the wise man and Daniel and his friends. So I don't know what your definition of bad day. That should be in there somewhere, right? Let's see, bad day. Yeah, the king wants to kill me. That's a bad day. Well, let's look at it. The scripture begins in in verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Look, his question isn't that the king doesn't have a right. He's the king. And back in those days, there was no congress. And so Nebuchadnezzar said something that happened. So Daniel's problem's not necessarily with the decree. It's why is it so urgent? What happened? Uh, last night I went to bed, everything was cool. Today I wake up and, and we're all supposed to get killed. What happened? So he gets the story. He's presented with the problem, right? He tells them what the problem is. Just look at it. Then Ariok made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. That he might tell the king the interpretation. So what happens? He, gets, he finds out the problem. Here's the problem. King Nebuchadnezzar wants to hear from God. So he wants you to be able to tell him what he dreamed and what that dream means. But he's not going to tell you what he dreamed. You've got to tell him. And everybody agreed. The only way that can happen is if God speaks. And I think ultimately that's what Nebuchadnezzar wants to know. i got all these wise men around us who say they, they have all this intelligence. I want to know, is anybody really connected to the God of the universe? So Daniel says to him, first guy, (coughs) excuse me, of all his wise men who said, okay, just give me a little time. The problem led Daniel to what? Prayer. The problem led Daniel to prayer. First place he goes. One of the things that we want to take away from today is that concept. Where does the problem take you? When a problem comes in, where does it take you? Does it take you into your mind? Does it take you to worry? Does it take you a hundred different places? Or does the problem take you to prayer? Will you go before the Lord in prayer? Look what he does. In verse 17, Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I love that as far as Daniel's concerned, they're still the same people. Remember, they all got different names, right? Belteshazzar, which is a mouthful. You'd have to shorten that, right? I don't know what you shorten it to, but you have to shorten it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's a little easier to say, but Belteshazzar, is, that's a rough one. But how do they know each other? We're the same people we've always been. We haven't been assimilated. I'm still Daniel. You're still Hananiah. You're still Azariah. You're still Mishael. You're still my friends who love the God of the universe, and so he gathers together with them that they might seek the mercies from, God, from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Twice, actually multiple times we work our way through Daniel, Daniel's going to talk to or um, relate to God with this term, the God in heaven. The idea is that he's the God over everything. You get what I mean? Heaven's above us, right? Isaiah 55 is that scripture. We read it this morning, but it goes on to tell us his ways are above us, right? His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. What's that mean? God's above us. It speaks to God's sovereign control, that God is in control. We're going to see that as Daniel praises. So he asks the king for time. He gets together with his friends, and he prays. Now, There's two things I want to pull out of that. One, he has a cool head. Right, I mean that's kind of a big deal. That's that's a that's a world ender. Yeah, um, you went to sleep today. Everything's cool. Tomorrow, the president of the United States has declared you public enemy number one. Kill on sight. Oh, that don't seem good, right? How are we going to deal with that? Well, what does Daniel do? Daniel has a cool head, and he goes before the king and he asks for time. Why does he have a cool head? How come he's not freaking out? How come he's not acting like the rest of the The rest of the wise men and the things that we see about them, remember, they freaked out. They said, nobody can do this, king. But not Daniel. Why? Why? Because when Paul writes to us from Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he lays out for us exactly what we need to experience in our life so we can have a cool head. So we can have peace that God gives us. What did he say? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. (coughs) And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. Now, I'm saying that Daniel had a private prayer life. You're going to say, Jackie, how do you know that? Well, I'm going to say we haven't got there yet, but you're going to see in a moment they make a law that there's no praying. And what's Daniel do? He gets thrown into the lion's den. Why? Because he prays. How many times? Three times a day. Oh, does he hide in a closet so nobody will see him? Nope, he does it right in his window. Right in the window of his house, everybody can see where Daniel goes to pray. You think that was something that just came later on in life? How do you think he got through chapter 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or 5? Okay, so how does he get through it? Private prayer. What's private prayer bring? Peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When the chaos begins, I'm not going to ever tell you it's too late to pray, but it's really too late to seek the peace of God prior to it. So we always, constantly, Paul tells us to be in an attitude of prayer all the time. All the time, attitude of prayer, personally. An attitude of prayer. But secondly, what's he do? He gets together with his buddies and they have corporate prayer. Right? He gathers together three of his his buddies. There's four of them gathered together to pray that the God in heaven who knows everything would reveal to them this secret that the only way they can know it is through him. So they gathered, they gather together corporately. So in the place of the believer in an unbelieving world, one of the things we need to take away in this concept of transformation is that transformation is possible when we have personal prayer and corporate prayer. Now you can have personal prayer anytime; that's easy, right? Corporate prayer around here is not too hard. We got a Wednesday night prayer meeting for that's doing the Franklin Graham. When's the next one? The, this Wednesday, next Wednesday. <laughs> so we're doing afternoon and evening, and it's in your bulletin. So that one's going on. Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., got a discipleship group, always starts off with corporate prayer. Thursday night, apologetics class, always starts off with corporate prayer. Opportunity to pray, to, to make your request known, to come together and, and lay these things out to God. And then the Wednesday uh, um, prayer meeting that's going on, that, uh, that folks get together and pray for our nation. So all of those are opportunities to come together in corporate prayer and be a part of watching God through prayer transform Your situation. Does anybody need a transformed situation or is everybody good? Nobody needs transformation? Because if you don't need any, I could use some. So if you don't mind, let's get together. Right? Let's see God transform. See him transform our families. See him transform our neighborhood. How about transforming our, our nation? You guys would be okay with that, right? I hope. So that's, it begins, that transformation begins in prayer. So the problem moved him to prayer, but then what happened? He receives the answer, and the answer moved him to praise. So the first thing we see coming out of a life that wants to transform the things around it is an attitude of prayer, personal and corporate. The second thing we see is the answers that God gives leads us to praise. What do you praise? You praise what you love. You praise what you love. What is it that God's looking for me? God, I just wish I knew what you want for me. It's really simple. Deuteronomy lays out for us, God just wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God wants your love. Your love is expressed in praise. Same way you express your love to the human that you love. Or to the children that you love. Or to the dog that you love. So everybody's got something they love. You can, you can understand it in the praise you give a good duck dog when he comes back with a duck. Oh, Brody, good Brody, oh, I love you, Brody, oh, what a sweet little Brody. That's all the stuff, right? What is that? That's praise for a dog. Well, if we can do it for a dog, you tell me we can't do it for the God in heaven? To give him praise? So let's look at this praise that he gives in verse 20. So Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and I praise you, O God of my fathers, (coughs) for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us The king's demand. So we see four specific things that he's going to do here. First thing he does is he praises his character, right? He says, blessed be your name forever and ever. Keep in mind that that time, whenever someone talked about the name, same concept of if you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, what are you doing? You're praying according to the character of God. Now, if he's saying he's blessing the character of God, then there's something we ought to know about the character of God. Don't you think? Because the more we know about the character of God, the easier it is for us to bless him about his character. So what two things does he bring up here? Wisdom and might. The theological terms are omniscience and omnipotence. What's that mean? God knows everything and he has the power to do something about it. God knows everything and has the power to do something about it. So those are the character traits, if you will, of God that he is blessing. He's blessing God's name, who he is forever. <clears throat> he focuses on wisdom and power. God, the only way anyone ever has wisdom on earth is because God gives it to him. It's the only way. You realize you don't got to be a Christian to get wisdom from God. The Bible says the rain falls on the evil and the good. It's raining out there today. You know it's not only raining on the bad people, it's raining on the good people too. You know how I know? It was raining on me. And you're thinking, which is he? <laughs> ah, I see how you're thinking. Yeah, if you know me very long, you know definitely know I'm one of the bad people. There's good people that it's raining on too. I'm just broke like everybody else, sinner saved by grace. Amen? Amen. So the rain falls. So when God does God give wisdom? Sure. All the smart things we've ever done in the history of mankind is God's condescension of pouring out His wisdom on man, and you watch through that man being able to help his fellow man, right? Which is all ultimately part of the character of God. In his wisdom, and his power. He knows everything, and he knows what to do about it. Now, just a side note, because I don't have a lot of time to chase a rabbit trail down, but sometimes people mess that thing up. What do you mean? Well, they don't like what God, that God, does, what God does about it. Well, then you forgot the first rule. No, what do you mean? I said God knows everything. Yeah. Do you? No. Oh. So if God does or doesn't do something, what makes you think you know enough to judge whether or not God should have done it different? Really? You know, in my infinite wisdom, I'm pretty sure God should have done that. Because I can tell you that's bad. You guys all heard my story about how we don't know bad from good, right? No, you don't know it? Oh, are you going to make me tell it again? Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know if i got time. I'll just do, do the short version. So... One day, the, the, the guys are out All the guys are out working, and they, they come across a bunch of horses. And they catch these horses, and they bring it into the town. And this farmer gets one of the horses that they caught. And his neighbors all come to him and go, Man, what a blessing. It's such a great thing. You got a horse. And the guy said, You know, whether it's good or bad, I, I don't know. And the next day, his son's out riding on that horse, trying to get that horse broke. And the horse bucks him off. He falls down and breaks his leg. And the neighbors come to him and go, you're right, man, we thought that horse was a good thing, but what a mess. Your son broke his leg. Farmer said, whether it's good or bad, I don't know, we'll have to see. Next day, the army comes through town, and the army says, okay, guys, we need every able-bodied young man to go to war. But his son had a busted leg, he didn't go. The neighbors came to him and said, man, you're right. It, it, it wasn't a bad thing, it was a good thing. Your son didn't have to go to war. And the farmer said, whether it's good or bad, we'll have to wait and see. You get the point yet? Oh, there's, a, there's more. It goes for like 15 minutes. <laughs> what is the point? The point is, we think something's good or bad by how it affects us or how it affects others. But we don't see the whole picture, do we? Who does? The God in heaven. Who sees over everything, right? Who is two of his attributes or two of his characteristics is wisdom and power but don't forget First John 4, 7 and 8 tell us that God is love omni so just because you don't know how those all fit together doesn't mean he don't And that, the difference between Daniel and everybody else is Daniel said look I can trust these knuckleheads who are like me or I can trust you I'm going to go with you because I know they're a mess just like I am but I know you're above me. So he praises his character. <coughs> Next he praises his control. Two things he lays out for us. You change the times and the seasons. See now you guys thought it was the moon. And you thought it was the phase of the, the, phase of the moon and the, and the solar system and how everything spun that did all the seasons. Well isn't it? Well yeah. Who put that there? Who wound it up? Who timed it? Who said it? God did. So who's in control? God is. God is in control. Times and seasons. And then he does the next one. Not only in control of the basic things we take for granted every day, like a daytime and nighttime and the changing of the seasons. What else does he do? He takes kings out and he puts kings in. So what does that mean for us? God put Obama where he's at. Lord have mercy on my soul. But God did it, okay? So what does he tell me to do about that? Pray. Right? He said pray. I believe God gives us the leaders we deserve. And if that's true, you ain't seen nothing yet. But what do we do about it? We pray. What do we do about it? We turn on the light. What do we do about it? We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be like Daniel's. So he praises that God is in control. That God knows what he's doing. Now I want you to understand for Daniel what that meant. That's what that meant that Yahweh decreed. Did you hear what that what I just said? So Yahweh decreed. Determined. Decided. Jerusalem was going to fall in 587 B.C. God decreed it. What happened in 587? Jerusalem fell. You know what else God decreed? Seventy years of captivity. How do I know God decreed those things? I read them. The Lord said, Seventy years. You're going to spend seventy years in captivity. Just like my dad used to say, Look, Jackie, if you don't mow the lawn, you can't go to Disneyland. And then I don't mow the lawn, and then the next day... Everybody's going to Disneyland and I'm getting in the car And dad says I don't know where you're going I said you guys are all going to Disneyland Dad said I told you to mow the lawn You didn't mow the lawn you ain't going So I sat home Why? Because he said Mow the lawn Guess what happened next time dad said mow the lawn No I still didn't mow the lawn <laughs> I told you I was messed up You guys didn't believe me. What's my point? There are things that God decrees. And when God makes a decree, that decree is solid, written in stone. Right? There are several examples of decrees we have in Scripture. One of them we're going to talk about when we talk about the Medes and the Persians. (coughs) Okay. God said in Isaiah that one of the leaders who was going to turn the people loose, let them go back, His name was Cyrus. God decreed it. He wrote his name in scripture. He had a prophet say, his name's going to be Cyrus. Do you think when he was born, his parents could have named him Fred? John, Paul, George, something else? Now, God didn't force them, did he? Nope, he just wrote it. And what happened? Cyrus was born. And what did he do? Set the people free. Why? Because God decreed it. God decreed decrees. So God, we see God, there are things that the Bible very clearly tells us God is in control of. Does it not? God is in control. So he's laying out for us. Look, God is in control. He's in control of how long captivity would last. He's in control of what's going on. He's in control that it's going to be 70 years. Look at Daniel 9, 2, real quick. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, so who's writing this? Daniel, oh, it's, it's, if I'm a If I'm a skeptic or a scholar, I question that. But it seems to say, Daniel. I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord. What was the number specified by? The word of the Lord, right? Through through Jeremiah the prophet. So once Jeremiah the prophet said, this is how it's going to be, what happened? That's how it's going to be. That he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. God decreed it. And that was how it was going to be. So he praises him that he is in control, that God has purpose. Otherwise, what do I say? I just say, well, but who knows what's going to happen next. But but if God is in control, can I say, for we know all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose? How can I say that? Because God has a plan. God has a purpose. And so he praises him. Lord, I don't understand it. Do you understand it all the time? No, but God has a purpose, so he praises his control. (coughs) Then, he praises his comprehension of everything. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. So without divine revelation, without God condescending to tell us, to give us his wisdom, we would be... Utterly lost and adrift in the sea. But David says, I praise that you know what's going on, that you understand. Because you know what it says scripturally, prophetically? Not only in the test of the gods. In Isaiah 40-48, to when when, uh, Isaiah the prophet is talking about the test of the gods and God's ability to tell the future as being one of those things that sets him apart. So he says, because God can tell the future, because God is in control, he's able to tell the future, because God is able to tell the future, and tell us what things are going to take place. But that's not all. He also says, he's also able to tell you why things happened in the past. Not just about the future. It's about knowing, knowing the whys. Where does that come from? From God, the revealer of secrets. From God who is able to reveal his heart. Able to reveal those things. So he praises Him because God understands. Because God can see in the darkness. Can we? I don't see so good in the dark. But God can. And he praises his concern for his prayer. See, God's big. And I'm little. And Daniel knew that he was little. God's big, I'm little. And you answered my prayer. So he praises God that God cares enough to... to Come into our life. Come be a part of what's going on around us to reveal to him the things. You realize in this prayer, Daniel praises God for knowing before he really knows that he knows. You get that? What do you mean, Jackie? Well, the Bible says that God gave him a vision of what it was, but he ain't told Nebuchadnezzar yet. How's he know it's true? Yeah, because of the source, right? Does God lie? Nope. So I love that Daniel's praising him before he even goes to Nebuchadnezzar. Before he even talks to him, Daniel's praising him. Daniel's saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for revealing. Thank you that you're in control. Thank you that you're handling these things. Thank you that you're <coughs> sharing these things with me. So he, he holds on to all those things. Now, the problem moved him to prayer. The answer moved him to praise. Right? Right? Now the opportunity moves him to action. There's a time to pray. There's a time to praise. And then there's a time of action. What are we talking about? We're talking about transformation, right? How to to let the transforming power of God move through a believer. Just like we see it moving through the life of Daniel before an unbelieving Nebuchadnezzar. Same way we can be believers in an unbelieving world. Same way we can turn on the light or we can, we can encourage people with what God is showing us. So, what's he do? Verse 24 Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Is that what you would have done? Okay, you're in a big, this big group, all wise men. Most of those wise men are knuckleheads and you don't like them very well. In fact, in a few chapters, they're going to be responsible for throwing you in a lion's den, but you don't know that yet. (laughs) If you had an opportunity to wipe them all out, and you'd be the only wise guy? But you see, the first thing Daniel does is plead for them. Why? Because God does not glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. As long as you have another day breathing, you have a chance to repent. As long as you have another day breathing, you have a chance to respond to the gospel. You have a chance to respond to the good news. You have a chance to allow the God in heaven to change your heart, right? So Daniel's first thing he says, he pleads for them. Don't destroy the wise men and take me before the king and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man. I love how people do this. And I love it. Daniel don't ever say nothing about it. What do you mean, Jackie? Ariok, he goes like he says he did this. Oh, king, yeah, I was going around killing wise guys like you told me. And I found a guy who knows the answer. Yes, it was me. In case you want to reward me later, I'm the guy who found Daniel. Don't you hear that's what Arioch's doing? Oh, king, I found... People are knuckleheads even 2,000 years ago, right? So he, he, uh, Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king. I have found the man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. So the king, he he don't listen, he just asked Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream (coughs) which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. First thing Daniel does in answering the king, can you tell me this? He wants the king to know it's not me. It's not me. I didn't know anything either. It's the God in heaven who has revealed it to me. It's God who has shown this to me. In fact, he goes on to say that in verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. He has told you what's going to happen. Now, not only is he going to tell him the dream, he's going to tell him what he was thinking before he went to bed. So he says, right here, he says, uh, Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. So he's wondering what's going to happen What's going to happen with his kingdom? What's going to happen in the world? Whatever, he falls asleep, he has this dream. And in it, the revealer of secrets, God tells him what's going to happen. Incredible prophecy. Especially as we get into 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Because they all shine light back on this vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. They all shine back to this point. Well, let's take a look. What was the dream? So, but as for me, this secret has not been revealed because uh, I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king. So who was the our sakes? It's been made known for our sakes. The wise men. Why? Because they're all about to be dead. So it's been made known for our sakes. And what else? to make known the interpretation of the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Man, some of the greatest work that God is able to do in in the life of a man is to show him the thoughts of his heart. Because it's in that place that repentance takes place. Well, it's going to take a couple of chapters. Nebuchadnezzar is going to take a left turn before he takes a right turn. But as, as that's working out, what is God's purpose? To save the wise men and what? To show Nebuchadnezzar what's in his heart. What does the Bible say is in our heart? Wickedness, sin, things that separate us from God. But when we know what's wrong, can we, is there a cure or no? No, there's definitely a cure. If I know that in my heart is sin and wickedness, There is someone who has come to pave the way that my heart could be made clean. For though your sins were as scarlet, the scripture says, they shall be white as snow. See, God's able. So, this whole story, this book of Daniel, the exile, (laughs) the people going in chains to Babylon, and all that stuff's going on, so God can put a man named Daniel in front of the most powerful king in the entire world, And set it up so that he can reveal to him what's in his heart. What's really in his heart. The ugliness, the sin. And so that he can say, there is a God in heaven. So that Nebuchadnezzar can bow the knee. Or at least make the choice. Yeah? Bow the knee or don't. That's chapter 4. We're not going to get there this morning. But you guys know it's coming. I just want you to see that. Why did this happen? So you'll know your heart. So you'll know your heart. So the dream. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image, a great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. And its form was awesome. The image's head was fine gold. (coughs) Its chest and arms of silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watch while a stone was cut out without hands. And it struck the image on its feet, the feet of iron and clay, and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. We enter into probably the beginning of some of the greatest prophetic things Scripture has to lay out for us. The great statue. We're not going to get into prophetic stuff today. I told you already. What are we going to get into first? We're going to get into what you need to apply from this. Because I would tell you this. I'm not sure Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know what that dream means. I think I understand that dream. Now, I know the story. Maybe that's why I think I know the dream. But I think I know what that dream means. I think you see a giant statue that represents the kingdoms of the world. But what do they all have in common? Feet of clay. What happens to them all? They crumble. Is there one that don't? Have you paid any attention to history? There are no Roman Empire now. What about Grecian Empire? What about a Medo-Persian Empire? For that matter, what about a Babylonian Empire? Are they here today? No. What did God say? He lays out for them through this statue, He lays out for them this concept, that they all have one thing in common. There's no stability. There is no stability in the kingdoms of this world. How come there's no stability? In fact, all the kingdoms of the world are constantly in a process of passing away. It's kind of like, you know, the, the negative part of seeing a baby born. What really happens? A baby is born and, and then slowly begins to die, right, for the next 80 plus years, hopefully. But isn't that what happens? We call it growing up. But, but what's really taking place, this constant realization that we're not eternal, We don't last forever. Neither do the kingdoms. Constantly in the process of passing away. Why? Because their foundation is faulty. What are they built on? Feet of clay. They're built on feet of clay. They're built on feet of clay. What does the Bible tell us about this? What does it lay out for us? What happens? Let's look at it. They're on feet of clay, but what else is in the picture? A, a stone, not cut out with hands, strikes this object in the feet and obliterates it so that there's nothing left. <clears throat> Matthew 21, 43. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation which bears fruit of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But upon whomever this stone falls, they shall be crushed. Stone, not cut out with hands. Seems like I've read that somewhere in the Bible. That the stone that has been rejected by the builders has become what? The chief of the corner. The chief of the corner. Well, I look at this and we're going to talk about the meaning of it all and we're going to dive into it. But I just want to talk about the practical parts of it. The practical parts that we see, what do we see? Kingdoms, what's happening to them all? They're all falling down. You tell me that's not true when you watch the news. You tell me it's not true when we look at what's going on in the worlds around us. Are all these kingdoms stable? Are all these kingdoms just rock solid and (coughs) nothing's ever shaken them to the core? And what's the purpose of the shaking to the core? To remind them that they're not on a solid foundation. But what happens is man comes along with an idea of rebellion. He takes over. He takes control. He reestablishes a kingdom. And he builds it on what? Feet of clay. What happens to it? It falls. And the next one. And the next one. Now let's back it up a little bit. Let's back off of nations. Are you building a kingdom? Are you building a kingdom on a foundation? Or are you building a kingdom on feet of clay? Personally, in our lives, are we putting together uh, our family, our house? Are we—is it just a, a random a bunch of events? We just live until we die, and that's it, or or is there some kind of purpose to it? Because Jesus told us that there ought to be a purpose to the way we build, didn't He? Upon what kind of foundation are we supposed to build? What did He tell us in in Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty four? Listen, Jesus said. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a man who built his house on what? The rock. So either the rock hits the feet of clay, right? Either you fall on the rock and are broken. How many of us are broken in this room? And if you ain't broken, you're lying. Look, this church is a place, hopefully, our primary mission is to build up the broken. To build up the broken. We're all broken, but Jesus makes us whole. That's what we talked about in communion, right? That by Jesus' sacrifice, He makes us whole. He makes us complete. He he knows where all the pieces go back together. Yeah? So we fall on that rock, and we acknowledge, I'm broken. And then He begins to build. Right? So if we build our house on the rock, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. Was founded on the rock. Now think back to Dan, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. What was the foundation to that big statue? Feet of clay. Is that how you build a house? No. no, probably not if you want it to stay up, right? Especially if you make it out of gold, silver, bronze, and iron. That's going to be pretty heavy, right? Standing, all standing on feet of clay. But what does Jesus go on to say? But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, Go in one ear, out the other. <clears throat> they will be like a foolish man who built this house on the sand. Not built on a rock. What happens to that? The rains descend, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Look, when we look at this dream of Daniel, next week we're going to dive into the history and the prophecy and all the stuff that God's got going on, and it's incredible to see all the things that God's telling us. But when we look at it, I just want you to see, what are you doing? Are you building a giant statue in your life? Because that's what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do in chapter 3. Are you building your own kingdom? And if so, what are you building that kingdom on? Am I not allowed to have a kingdom? Nebuchadnezzar had a kingdom. David had a kingdom. Lots of kingdoms. What are you building your kingdom on? What do you build your business on? What do you build your farm on? What do you build your home on? Because if you're building it on feet of clay, what's going to happen to it? It's going to come down. So what's the purpose? I need to build it on the rock. Jesus gave us very specific things. He who hears these things that I've commanded you and what? Does them. Builds his house on a rock. Is there a way to build my business on the concepts that Jesus teaches us in the Word? Is there a way to build my family on the concepts that Jesus teaches us in the Word? Is there a way to build a nation on the concepts that Jesus teaches us in the Word? Sure, we've seen it happen. Well, we didn't see it, but we've read about it. It used to be that way around here. And my point is, it can be again. It just requires God's people to start to stand up and do what they're supposed to do. Because really, the reason this has occurred is because of our own apathy. We don't have anybody to blame but us. We got comfortable. We sat back. We stopped caring about what was going on around us. And it spirals out of control. And the next thing we know, once upon a time, what had been built on a rock is built on clay feet. And it's coming down. But before you can rebuild it, what do you got to do? You got to bring it down. Right? We don't want to build on clay. We build on the rock. That requires to go down to the foundation, right? Right? Go down to the foundation and build on the rock. The rock, who is Jesus Christ? Man, we got to do that. (laughs) So I might be building a kingdom. I might be developing those things. If I look at my family, I look at my neighborhood, I look at my community, I look at the things around me, I have a responsibility to God and my fellow man, just like Daniel, to say, you know what, I need to help. I can sit back and complain or I can become a part of the solution. What did he do first? He got the problem and he prayed. When he got the answer, he praised and after that it moved him to action. So what do we do? We pray. And when we get the answer, we praise. And then when we when when we understand what we're supposed to do, what? We move to action. That means we do something. We do what God has directed us to. But the other thing I wanted to ask, not only when we look at the concept of the statue, look, are you building after the statue or are you building after the mountain? Cuz the statue, that's all the kingdoms of this world. We're going to see that next week. Well, the mountain, that's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God slowly takes over it all. And the concept is, the idea is, I don't have time. The idea is, (coughs) the kingdom of God is here now, but not yet. What do I mean? Well, Messiah came. He died, was buried, rose again. He ascended into heaven and sat down on the throne. That's the place of the king. But what's the Bible tell us? What's he going to do? Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. When he comes again, then we'll see the kingdom of God fully and completely. Right? Right? So we've got the, it's, it's here now, Jesus is king, right? But he's not here ruling and reigning. He's coming. But what did he tell me to do while he's in heaven? What did he tell me to do while he's away? What did he tell me to do until the time when he returns? He said, Occupy till I come. Do business till I come. He said, Buy houses. Plant. Grow. Have families. Give your sons to marry and and your daughters in marriage. Isn't that exactly what he told through Jeremiah the prophet, the people going to Babylon? Live your life in the middle of a perverse generation. Live your life in the middle of a land that doesn't believe and you be salt and light. You get what he's saying? So man, I want to I build for the kingdom of God. Amen. I want to build for the kingdom of God, so that's the kind of world I'm leaving the grandkids, should the Lord tarry. And, and that's what he tells me to do. That's how he tells me to live. That's how he wants my focus to be, so that, so that those things can happen. I want to look back, I want to stand back and look at the things I'm building in my life and what am I building them for? And is it just a monument to me? Or is it for the kingdom of God? Because I promise you, if it's a monument to me, I can tell you what its feet are made out of. Right? But if it's for God, it's built on a rock. It's going to last. Last thing. As I build for and I have my eyes to looking toward the kingdom of God, I'm reminded of something Jesus told us all, right? He said, man, a lot of people need a lot of things. People need clothes. People need food. People need healing. People need all this stuff. And the Gentiles, the unbelievers, they seek for it all the time, but I have something different for you. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And what? All those other things will be added unto you. Seek his kingdom first. His kingdom first. Let's see, that's who Daniel was. Being a witness before a wicked king. Being a witness before a wicked world. Not angry, not upset, not frustrated, but just saying, look, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. The rules here, I I follow the word of God. The word of God says it. That settles it. So I'm hopeful that we can see as we move forward, we come into crazy times. The crazy times are going to come. You think this is the end of the crazy times? The crazy train is at full speed. I don't think it's jumping the tracks, man. It's just going to roll. <clears throat> but what am I supposed to do? Shine a light. What am I supposed to do? Be salt. What am I supposed to do? Look for an opportunity to be a Daniel. Present it with a problem, pray. Get an answer to the problem, praise. And after you have the answer, move to action. God's people have been apathetic too long. It's time for us to get up. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to respond. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.